Welcome back to the We Don't Want to Grow Up podcast. Hey, everybody. I'm Stacy, And I am Pete. We're happy that you're here. We're happy to be here. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Who doesn't want to live in a bubble of nostalgia? That's right. In a fort of blankets. <gasps> that is true with all the twinkle lights. Hmm. <laughs> Cozy feels. Cozy club up in here. <laughs> Speaking of childhood and nostalgia. Yes. We've talked about board games on our podcast before, just games. Uh, it's been a while, and newcomers may not have listened to it yet, but I thought it'd be fun to talk about a game specifically that we played with as a kid, preferably one that we haven't already mentioned. For me, it was a card game called Racco. Is this something you ever played? I never played it. I feel like maybe Sarah and her family played it. Somebody, one of my friends and their family used to play it because I would hear about it all the time. Okay. So, I mean, it's a pretty simple card game. I think you just had to like get numbers like sequentially or something like that. Yeah. But it was fun because it had this plastic rack that you would put your cards in. So I remember that uh, being a- That's the racco. That's the racco. Huh. But I really liked that one. We'd play it as a family a lot, but then also like me and my sisters and brother would play too. That's fun. Mine is Mr. Mouth. Did wow. you ever play that? I have never heard of this one. You should look it up so you can see what it looks like. So there's a 70s version that looked like, you know, it was like a sphere, you know, that was a smiley face guy. Well, he looked like a smiley face guy. He wasn't really smiling. Yeah, he looks a little like kind of smiling. He's got like droopy eyes. Yes. <laughs> and then the 80s version looked like a frog. Yeah. Which one did you have? I remember the smiley face guy. Okay. The 70s version. I don't so, think I've ever seen this before. It would, I believe he would spin around. And then there were four hands yeah. outstretched from it, and you would push down on the hand, and then you had these different color coins. Everybody had their own color, plastic coins. Yeah. And as it came around, you would try to flip the coins into his mouth as his mouth would oh, open and close. That sounds like fun. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. I would want to play that now. Yeah, me too. We should find it. <laughs> we have to find it. <laughs> we can find it on eBay with all the pieces. Mr. Mouth. So we took it back to the 80s. Back to the 80s. Two movies, actually both from the same year. Yeah, accidentally. We, yeah, we didn't do it on purpose. It wasn't planned. Should I start? Have at it. All right. Get into it. The one that I chose was a favorite of mine, Can't Buy Me Love. Can't buy me love. 1987, like I said, it was directed by Steve Rash. The short story is that it's about a kind of nerdy high school student in Tucson, Arizona, who gives a cheerleader $1,000 to pretend to be his girlfriend for a month. So he can become popular. But I like to delve into it a little bit more. Yeah. You know, it's about the whole group of kids in high school, the cliques, mostly focused on the popular kids and the nerdy kids. And Ronald Miller is starting to care a little bit about the fact that he's in the quote unquote nerd herd <laughs> and <laughs> not in the popular crowd, you know, and he has a crush on Cindy Mancini who's captain of the cheerleaders and doesn't know that he exists mm -hmm. other than the fact that he mows their lawn. But she thinks his name is Donald. She doesn't even know his name. <laughs> so one day Ronald is presented with an opportunity to bail Cindy out of some big trouble with her mom because she ruined her $1,000 suede outfit that she wasn't supposed to be wearing in the first place. Right. But she took it and wore it to a party. And of course, you know, some doofus who's drinking red wine at a high school party as you do <laughs> as you do in high school everybody was crushing that red wine 
connoisseur, you know, spilled the wine all down it, ruining it. She's devastated. Ronald has saved up money from lawn mowing and he's planned to buy this awesome telescope. Mm -hmm. He's there at the mall. And it's so funny because you see very clearly there's a price tag hanging up next to the telescope that says $1,000 and then cut over to Cindy, who he has seen through the telescope, trying to bargain with the store owner, saying she'll work to pay off if she can just get an advance to get a replacement of this suede suit. And you also see the price tag for $1,000. $1, so Ronald just takes the opportunity and runs over to her and just basically shows her the cash, shows her the money, as Cuban Gooding Jr. would say. Show me the money. He presents Cindy with the idea that if she dates him for a month, he'll become popular. She gets the replacement outfit. Her mom's not pissed at her. Win -win. Everything's great. Yeah, Yeah. win-win. She doesn't think it's going to work, but she wants that money. So she agrees to, to go along with it. And it does work. And works quickly. He becomes the most popular boy. Gives me some <laughs> Teen Witch vibes. And he's very quickly accepted into that whole group of friends because if Sydney thinks he's cool enough to date, then everyone thinks he's cool enough. He's in. But it gets complicated, as it normally does, where Sydney starts to see that he's actually a really great person and she starts to let him in, showing him who she really is. But the popularity goes to his head, even though he really is deep down a good person. He's just high off of that fame. And even before that, you're right. Even before that, he just doesn't notice that she's starting to like him. Yeah, she's trying to give him little subtle hints and stuff. Which I don't blame him. He's just like, why would she ever like me? I yeah. think is. I think, yeah, he's probably got a guard up because he's like, this is not going to actually go anywhere. Yeah. So it comes to the end of the month. They stage a fake breakup. He's a big D. Hey, and all her friends want to date him. Basically, like she created a monster. So she kind of (laughs) falls back from all of that. Mm -hmm. She's just pissed off. And he only really learns his lesson. Like, I don't think he ever would have learned his lesson. No. Until she got wasted at a New Year's Eve party and just blows him up to everybody. She just tells everybody what their plan was the whole time. And he, like, immediately is shunned by everyone. No one will speak to him. Destroyed. His old friends won't speak to him because he was mean to them. Yes. His new quote unquote friends won't speak to him because he's not in with her and, you know, he just thought that he could buy his way in. Yeah. And so he's all alone. He's really messed up. He has. So, of course, you know, he regrets what he's done. As he's done some self-reflecting, you know, he realizes that he messed up and he starts groveling and trying to talk to Cindy and apologize. And she's avoiding him for what seems like a long time. It was probably only like a day or two. Yeah. And then (laughs) it doesn't take much. She finally gives in and they ride off into the sunset together. Quite literally. Quite literally. But we'll (laughs) talk about that in a Mm. minute. (laughs) All wrapped up in a pretty little bow. So the cast, we usually like to give fun facts, and I do have a few, but for me, when I was researching this cast and all the things that they've done, I feel like these are all the, yeah, these are all the fun facts. Cool. So we have Patrick Dempsey, of course, as Ronald Miller. This is where I first fell in love with Patrick Dempsey. Until he was on Grey's Anatomy, I knew him from Can't Buy Me Love and Loverboy. And so I was excited that, you know, Ronald Miller was on Grey's Anatomy. That's why I was going to watch the show. Of course, now it's just McDreamy. But was he on from the start of that show? Oh, yeah. Was he? Okay. Mm -hmm. I actually watched the first few seasons of Grey's, but I feel like I was 18 when that show started, so I don't remember. You weren't 18 because (laughs) I lived in Orlando when it started. It was like mid-2000s, I think. Amanda Peterson played Cindy Mancini. Sadly, she passed away in 2015. 
she had had kind of a rough life beyond Can't Buy Me Love and struggled with drugs and alcohol. This, I think, had more to do with accidental medication after having a surgery. Yeah, she like mixed the wrong ones or something. Because her family had said she had gotten clean. Gotten clean. Yeah. It's very sad, though. And I think she was like 44 or something Mm -hmm. like that. And we actually had just seen her like a month ago when we did Annie. She's one of the orphans in Annie. Tina Caspery played Barbara, who was also a dancer in Annie. Was she? Yeah. I need to go back and see if I can spot her. And this I thought was interesting. She played Kelly Bundy in the pilot of Married with Children. Really? She was the original Kelly? Yeah. But they didn't really feel like her acting was right for that role, I guess. Ditched her and picked up Christina Applegate. And she was also in Teen Witch. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She had that same awesome hair. (laughs) Darcy DeMoss played Patty. Uh, She was in Friday the 13th, part six. Oh, I remember that one. No, I don't remember that one. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we watched it, though, around Halloween. And I feel like I said, oh, she's from Can't Buy Me Love. But you probably did. I probably did. I'm always saying things like that. Court McCown played Quint, and this I thought was interesting, and I need to look into it because it says that he was in Vince Vaughn's Wild West comedy show in Nashville. Like, he's a comedian now, and I was at Vince Vaughn's Wild West comedy show in Nashville. Yeah, I wonder if you saw him. How funny if I had seen him and, like, didn't realize who it was, you know? You could could have said, oh, I know him from Can't Buy Me Love. I could have. You know, I'm always saying things like that. (laughs) (laughs) And he was also uncredited as one of Michael J. Fox's teammates in Teen Wolf. Really? Yeah. Let me, let me look this guy's face up real fast. Yeah. And look up Quint. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I recognize that guy. Yeah. From Can't Buy Me Love or from Teen Wolf? Yeah. Just from Can't Buy Me Love. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so then there's Eric Bruscotter. Sounds about right. Bruscotter. I'm not sure. He's Big John. You may recognize him also from Major League Two and Major League Back to the Miners. Also Starship Troopers. Yeah, I knew I recognized him. And then I was like, oh, that's that guy from Starship Troopers. (laughs) Yeah, you're always saying things like that. (laughs) I'm always saying things like that. (laughs) And he was also in Glee. Yeah, he was in Glee. Do you remember him from Glee? I remember him from Glee. You do not. (laughs) (laughs) I love musicals. What are you talking about? Speaking of music, Gerardo Mejia played Ricky, but you might know him as Rico. Suave. (laughs) What's funny is I posted a video of Gerardo performing Rico Suave on the Arsenio Hall show on our Instagram a couple weeks ago. And so many people commented, Mm -hmm. I just can't believe he was the football player and can't buy me love. (laughs) He definitely looked different. He had a sweet mullet and can't buy me love. He did. He'd grown his hair out by the time he was Mr. Rico Suave. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a lot of people thought his name was Rico Suave. (laughs) I did. (laughs) Did you? I did. (laughs) Not Gerardo. So he later became a recording industry executive and more recently is a pastor in Ashland, Kentucky. In Kentucky, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Then there's Courtney Gaines as Kenneth Werman. He's been in a ton of stuff, but best known for his betrayal of Malachi in 1984's Children of the Corn. I have never watched Children of the Corn. (gasps) Oh, we have to watch it. I know. I've just never done it. Let's do that this fall. We'll cover it on the podcast. We will. (laughs) 
I Love Him and Sweet Home Alabama, which also happens to star Patrick Dempsey. McDreamy himself. Yeah, back together again. Then there's Seth Green, a very young Seth Green as Chuck Miller, Ronald's little brother. And he's done tons of stuff. I think most people know who Seth Green is, but yeah. I love him and Can't Hardly Wait. He's in Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. And then he does a lot of voice work, Robot Chicken, Family Guy. I think he's a pretty funny dude. He is funny. Played a great, annoying little brother in this movie. <laughs> he did. Sharon Farrell played Mrs. Mancini, Sydney's mom. She was in a lot of films in the 60s and 70s. I don't really recognize her. Yeah. Dennis Dugan, or Dugan, I think we struggled with this when we covered Happy <laughs> Gilmore, played David Miller, Ronald's dad. And he is most known for his partnership with Adam Sandler. Mm -hmm. And he's directed Happy Gilmore, Big Daddy, I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, You Don't Mess With the Zohan, Grown Ups, Just Go With It, Jack and Jill, Grown Ups 2, basically anything Adam Sandler's been in. <laughs> Hey, a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he also stars in Happy Gilmore, too, right? He does. Cloyce Morrow played Judy Miller, Ronnie's mom. I couldn't find a lot about her. She kind of stopped acting right after this. Okay. Uh, but she did voice Mrs. Bingham in the Floppy Dogs made-for-TV movie <laughs> for Disney. Did you watch that? Yes. And I have the Floppy Dogs downstairs. You know. You got them for me. I do know. <laughs> And then Devin DeVasquez played Iris. She was Playboy's Playmate of the Month in June of 85. Oh. She also dated Prince in 85, Sylvester Stallone in 88, before she married Ron Moss in 2009, who was on The Bold and Beautiful. She got with Ron Moss? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Do you know... <laughs> No, I don't know who Ron Moss is. <laughs> I was like, well... I had to look him up. I recognized his face from getting Soap Opera Digest back in the day, okay. but I didn't watch The Bold and the Beautiful. I was like, well, I thought you were just a GH guy, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so a few other fun facts. It was originally called Boy Rinse Girl. <laughs> That's a good name change. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the best choice. Uh, it was later changed to Can't Buy Me Love after the producers had secured the rights to the Beatles song. Oh, okay. The choreography is by Paula Abdul, who makes an uncredited appearance as a dancer. I can see that. Yeah. And then in 2003, Can't Buy Me Love was remade as Love Don't Cost a Thing, starring Nick Cannon and Christina Milian, which I remember that movie coming out, but I didn't realize it was a remake. So I need to watch it now. I didn't I either. I had never seen it. And side note, I always thought it was Christina Milan. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a Christina Milan? I don't think so. I think I've just I always misread her name. That's funny. I was almost going to call you out for saying her name wrong, and then I just read it. <laughs> And was like, well, call yourself out. She used to open for NSYNC in the day. So I've seen her perform a few times. Oh, she's a singer? Christina Milian. Yep. Uh, so this was a first for you, right? You hadn't really watched this? I didn't think that I had, but after we watched it, I realized I have seen it before. Okay. You're like, after we watched it, I realized that I know every line. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although it is funny how predictable it is because you kept saying right before they would do it, oh, here we go. They're about to come over and eat his whole pizza. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, how did you know that? You know, <laughs> now it could be because you realize that you've seen it before or it's just a very predictable movie. <laughs> it felt predictable for one reason or another. Either I knew it and forgot it or they using those tropes. <laughs> <laughs> of course, back in the day, it was groundbreaking. Was it, though? <laughs> <laughs> 
I think so. All right. Tell me your favorite moments. Well, along those lines, the dance scene at the school when Ronald teaches everybody a new dance that he learned off of, I think, American Bandstand, American Bandstand yeah. but not actually American Bandstand. Well, they had a special thing. Oh, that's right. It was a special on American Bandstand. Yeah. So it was like the African anteater ritual or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So he didn't realize that, but he gets his date to do the dance and then everybody else follows suit. As so, you do. As you do. That's what I'm wondering. Like, do they still do that in movies that I'm not watching like now? <laughs> I don't know. Cause or I, was I that don't an really, 80s thing? I haven't really watched any like teen movies that are current. Yeah, it's so different, though. There's so many platforms for this type of movie to come out on now. Yeah. Like back then, it was like you go to the movie theater. Uh-huh. And you can get it on VHS afterwards, and then it'll go to HBO. So you had like three ways to watch it, or I guess four, because then eventually it would show up on TV. But now it's like, oh, the Disney Channel is going to make a movie, and now there's 500 streaming platforms. So there's a whole bunch of movies that I'm not watching that they could be doing this very thing. I'm just not sure. Yeah. At least with this one, the choreography was very basic. There were only like four steps in Mm -hmm. it, (laughs) whereas the movies like She's All That. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, where all of a sudden everyone on the dance floor knows this very intricate intricate dance routine. It's like, did you all get together and practice this in your school gym before you came to the party? I just don't. (laughs) The answer is yes, they did. (laughs) (laughs) But that's uh, that's one of my favorite scenes. It makes me laugh. That's a good one. And then you mentioned before that suede outfit. First of all, I love that suede outfit. I'm like, wow, that is some 80s right there. Yeah, you've got the skirt. Yeah. And then the bra top topped off with the fringe jacket. Yeah, absolutely. That whole thing just screams 80s, but like posh 80s. Oh, yeah, very posh. Like that was a really awesome outfit for it's that. Posh and it's posh. It's <laughs> It's like a cream color. Yeah, it's a great outfit. I really like it. And I like that scene because that's another thing I'm like, oh, yeah, somebody's spilling wine on this. Oh, yeah, you did say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you saw the guy standing there with the wine because we were like joking about do high schoolers drink red wine? Right. And then you're like, you see her walking up. You're like, oh, he's mm, definitely. That's ending up on it's, there. It's heading for her outfit right now. Now, this one kind of steps on one of yours a little bit, but it's a very particular moment in a scene mm-hmm. where Ronald's doing something. But to get his point across, he smashes a bat on a table. Yeah. This is the part that made me realize I have seen this movie before because I remember that part in particular uh... thinking, dude, why are you smashing the bat on the table? There's like people sitting right there. <laughs> They're eating lunch out of their trays and you just smash this and everything went flying. Yeah. I like that scene, but I don't think he should have done it that it's way. very irresponsible. Very irresponsible. It could have gotten in that girl's eye, which I thought happened when she was crying. <laughs> but really, she was just emotional. Emotional. I mean, what is he, a teenager or something? Yeah. Think it through. <laughs> Use your brain. All right. HMs for me. The home ex scene. Where Rico Suave is shirtless with an apron, first <laughs> of all. His name's Gerardo. It's Rico Suave. <laughs> He's shirtless with an apron because that's what you do in high school. Rico. Suave. Would anybody actually roll around with no shirt and an apron <laughs> in high school? They didn't in mind, no. but you know, I was very sheltered. I think only in the locker room, <laughs> but still no apron. No apron. <laughs> but then also just like the whole home ec set in general. I is, know. I wonder if like bigger schools had home ec setups like that because I, I didn't have home ec at all. we did. 
I don't know if in the 80s they had it like that. I don't remember having... There's like ovens, ovens sinks. In a classroom. It's like everybody has their own little kitchen. Right. And I don't know what else they taught in home ec, but I'm sure it was fully kitted out in this classroom. It looks like a lot of fun. I just yeah. feel like they wouldn't do that in high schools nowadays. Too many hazards. Uh, Yeah. I feel like they should still have it just to teach people how to cook. Everybody. Yeah, they should, honestly. Hey, here's how you do your laundry. Here's how you cook. Yeah, they really need to call it like when they say college prep, there needs to be a class that actually teaches you how to be an adult on your own. Right. Here's your dorm room and post dorm room prep class. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Here's how you iron a shirt. Here's how you boil water. Yeah. (laughs) And then finally, for me, the airplane graveyard is just like a cool scene. Like, I love airplanes. I figured that was going to be one of your favorites. Well, I forgot about it until I already got down here. So <laughs> I had to make sure that I listed it. But I really love that scene. And I love the planes that are in there and just the whole way that looks. I really want to go to one sometime. Yeah. And they are awesome in video games as far as <laughs> finding a sweet camping spot. You can always find one in an airplane graveyard. <laughs> Good to know. (laughs) Also, that scene is kind of romantic. It is. It's like their little last date before they're going to break up. And that's where you can really tell that Cindy has fallen for him. She has face planted for him. (laughs) (laughs) So my favorites. Number one, I love Cindy's little quick makeover of Ronald. They show up at school. It's the first day they're going to be walking down the halls together. And she's like, we got to fix the way you look right now. And she real quickly, because his hair's gelled down or whatever, so she just tussles his hair. With you know, some mousse. Shakes it up, and it all of a sudden looks super cool. And she rips the sleeves off of his button down. Untucks also, it as well. Untucks it, and that's it. Now he's super cool. I mean, he looks like a completely different person, and you're just like, oh, hello, you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's still like a little scrawny Patrick Dempsey at that time, but it's like you can see why people started to pay attention to him, because he looks cute. <laughs> All of a sudden, he's like Clark Kent, and then bam, Superman. Yeah. Take his glasses off. Whoa, I didn't even, didn't even recognize you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Number two is... It's the scene around your favorite moment when he slams the bat onto the table because he's taking up for his friend Kenneth, who he's been friends with since they were kids, along with Quint, who's bullying Kenneth, just because he's sitting and tutoring Patty and being a nice person. But this is after Ronald has fooled everyone. So they're like on the defense thinking that the nerds are coming in to try to- Out of here, nerd. Back to your table. (laughs) Yeah. It's not nice. And Ronald sees him doing that. And he comes over and, like, reminds him, you know, we used to all be friends. Like, what happened when we were kids? Like, you broke your arm and we carried you all the way to the hospital and you cried the whole way, you know. And then, of course, (laughs) after the speech, we get a really great slow clap. And I thought you were joking because, like, everything had kind of ended right there. (laughs) And then you did a slow clap. And I was like, oh, (laughs) that would have been hilarious if they put a slow clap in. One second later, slow clap. (laughs) (laughs) What's funny is that I didn't even know for sure that that's what happened, but I just instinctively was like, there's a slow clap here. We need to slow clap. And then when they did it, I was like, oh, that's why I thought there should be a slow clap here. (laughs) We need like a history of the slow clap to see where that was in the chain. Like that certainly wasn't the first slow clap. Yeah, I don't know. What I love is like in Can't Hardly Wait, which is 10 years after this, Mm -hmm. there's a slow clap thing, you know, where I think they're kind of making fun of. It's a call out. Yeah. And then number three, the end where Cindy finally decides she's going to forgive him and he's mowing the lawn and, you know, she's starting to leave with her friends. And then all of a sudden 
she comes back and jumps on the back of his riding lawnmower and they ride off into the sunset together. Kiss in the sunset. They're kissing. She takes his hat off and puts it on herself. It's just a great ending. I noticed in that scene, and this is how I can tell that I've gotten older, I was very nervous for the young ladies sitting on the back of this convertible. (laughs) They were not secured down. Anything could have happened. Not wearing any shoes. No shoes, no seatbelts. They were on the trunk of the car, basically, like with their legs over the back seats. Like that is not safe. Those wild and crazy kids. So wild and crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Also, there was a callback to that scene of them riding on the lawnmower in the movie Easy A. Emma Stone and Pam Badgley. Pam? Pen. Pen. Yeah. Makes more sense. He's from Gossip Girl and you- the show you, you on Netflix you you is he the main guy yeah oh okay I do know him then yeah HMs okay I love the hair in this movie and the face paint a la gem Patty has different things on her face like the whole time she's got like a star sticker one time another time she's got this like squiggly line that's like yellow and pink that just mm-hmm. comes out all the way across her cheek different times she's got just like glitter all over her face she's got streaks of purple or something in it she was 80s cool for sure she was but this was after Jim so it does make me wonder if it was kind of inspired by that yeah because in Cindy's room on the wall it says outrageous <gasps> it does say outrageous and I'm like was is that a super cool word or was that a gem word that was super cool? I can't remember. <laughs> I bet outrageous came before gem. I feel like that's probably something they said even in earlier times. Gem was probably using it to be cool. Right. She just put the stamp on the cool mm-hmm. of using that word. She popularized She truly, it. truly did. <laughs> and speaking of Cindy's room, that's my other HM. I just love, there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where Cindy and her friends are in the room and there's just so much going on. In the room, she's got her TV is like inside a fireplace, (laughs) but that's obviously not being used. But the fireplace is like purple and pink or it's like one of those. And then the TV, I feel like the TV was a color, like a fun color. I could be wrong on that. But either way, there's fun colors going on. So it's like inside the wall. And then, you know, she's got like a fun clock with geometric stuff on it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see like her ribbons, like her cheerleading ribbons and stuff. And then when they go out of the room, she closes the door and there's a... It's like a cardboard cutout. Yeah. And there's a cardboard cutout of Bobby, her boyfriend, who had already gone on to college. But it's like full size. Yeah, because he's a football player and it's like his football photo. But it is literally full size, like you said. Which makes me think of my sister because when she used to work at Video Park, she used to get some of those stand-ups. Oh, really? And I remember we had like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one that used to scare the crap out of me if I walked in her room. Those are worth money now, too. That's funny. I wonder what she did with them. They probably got thrown away. (laughs) And then she also had a cardboard cutout of Brad Pitt as Tristan from Legends of the Fall. What, that I was in the 90s, it. wasn't it? You used to kiss it? <laughs> yes. So Passionately long. or just like... No. It was just like, oh, bad, like joking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old days. That is hilarious. Well, that was fun. I'm glad I chose that one. Yeah, that was a good choice. It was a fun one to watch. I've been wanting to do it for a while. So now I get to sit back and let you take over. Yeah. Sit back and relax. All right. Mine, also from 1987, The Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. 
This was directed by Rob Reiner, and it's basically about a poor little guy. He's sick. He's home from school. His grandpa comes over to read him a story. The story, it's a, a swashbuckling fairy tale adventure about the beautiful buttercup and her one true love, Wesley. Now, I have to make an admission here. I always thought his name was Wesley until today. <laughs> until today. I saw it. And I thought Wikipedia was wrong. Yeah. And I was like, wait, wait, there's a T in there? <laughs> I always thought his name was Wesley. Well, I, I can see how you could confuse that. Okay. Back to the synopsis. Thinking Wesley <laughs> has died, Buttercup is now engaged to the evil Prince Humperdinck, who also plans to murder her to start a war, which is not cool. It's not very nice. No. Not very husband-like. No. <laughs> Wesley returns and must save her from this evil plot. He joins forces with the giant Fezzik and the brilliant swordsman Inigo Montoya <laughs> as they battle Prince Humperdinck and his lackey, the Six-Fingered Man. That's a nice little summary. Thank you. Cool. So it's based on the William Goldman novel, aptly named The Princess Bride, written in the early 70s. It stars Peter Falk, who sadly passed away in 2011, but he plays Grandpa and the narrator, has a very young Fred Savage mm -hmm. as the grandson. He was always so cute. Carrie Elwes as Westley. That's how you pronounce it? That's what I looked up today, because I was like, I have always pronounced this incorrectly. I've always been like, Elwes. Elwes. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it's Elwes. And also the Dread Pirate Roberts. Robin Wright as Buttercup, Mandy Patinkin as Inigo Montoya. Love him. Chris Sarandon as Prince Humperdinck, who we recognize from Fright, Fright Night. Night. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Guest as Count Tyrone Rugen, or the Six-Fingered Man. That's how I know him. Wallace Shawn as Vizzini, who I love in this <laughs> movie. Andre the Giant, who sadly passed away in 93, as Fezzik. Billy Crystal as Miracle Max. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Carol Kane as Valerie, who is Max's wife. They're the best. Yes. Peter Cook, who also passed away in 1995 as the impressive clergyman. And Mel Smith as the albino, who also passed away in 2013. So a lot of these wow. people have passed away. I guess they were older. They were, yeah. When they did this, so. So fun facts. Colin Firth was originally in the running to play Westley. Oh, I love him. But they found Carrie Elwes and thought he was a better fit, which I agree. He's a perfect fit for this movie. Yeah. Also, Courtney Cox, Meg Ryan, and Uma Thurman all auditioned for Buttercup. Wow. And Robin Wright was like the last person to audition for that role. Like 500 people auditioned. She was the Man. last one and she got it. And I'd mention this. Andre the Giant had just had some pretty serious back surgery. Mm -hmm. So he couldn't really lift anything. So they're always using like a stunt double to do some of his stuff or, you know, that scene where he has to catch Buttercup at the yeah. very end. Mm -hmm. She was lowered down on a wire because he couldn't oh, okay. he couldn't support her. So he was in a lot of pain during all of the filming. Oh, sad. There's a scene that was cut from the end of the film the very end, where Fred Savage originally walked over to his window right after his grandfather had left. And he sees Fezzik, Inigo, Wesley and Buttercup all riding on their white horses oh. out his window. I was like, oh, they should have left that in there. That would have been fun. I bet they didn't because they didn't want to confuse people. Yeah. So when Inigo utters his vow. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Mandy was thinking of his father who had died of cancer a few years prior to that. And he was picturing the six-fingered man as cancer. Oh, wow. So there's a whole documentary that I watched on it. 
where he really talks through how that was his motivation. And he was like walking around and like picturing that before the scene and stuff like that. So it's a really powerful part of this movie. And it's crazy, like the motivation that Mandy used for that. Oh, that just gave me chills. Yeah. So the sword fight on the Cliffs of Insanity with its epic three-minute battle scene. (laughs) (laughs) That took months of practice and over a week to shoot. Wow. Mandy and Carrie trained for about two months in New York together because they realized, like, we have got to make this the greatest sword fighting scene ever. Mm -hmm. Because I guess in the book, it was written like that. The author spent a lot of time researching what would go into a sword battle like this. So they wanted to do it justice. I like that. And so they, when they got to London, they trained every day that they weren't shooting. So there's no stuntmen involved other than there's one like flip. Other than that, they did all of the work there. Nobody got hurt, which is good for a fencing scene like that. But uh, I think they really pulled it off. Yeah, they did. So Arnold Schwarzenegger was originally cast or at least was in their minds to be cast as Fezzik. Uh But by the time they got around to making this movie, he was too expensive because it (laughs) took a long time to get this movie made. Really? Every time they'd get a green light, somebody at the studio they got the green light from would get fired. And it Uh, happened like six times in a row. You know, what's funny is since we've started doing this podcast, we've heard of more and more stories like that. Yeah, it just takes so long to get a movie made. Just never really knew about some of that behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Carrie Elwes, I guess, was extremely smitten with Robin Wright. Oh, really? He wrote in his book, he said, it was as if I were looking at a young Grace Kelly. She was that beautiful. And he added, to be honest, I couldn't concentrate on much of anything after that first encounter with Robin. She was the perfect buttercup in my mind's eye. Mm. So do you remember the scene in the forest when they catch Westley and Buttercup and they knock him on the head? Yeah. So they had filmed that a few times and Carrie said, "Ah, that just doesn't look authentic. Go ahead and hit me on the head a little bit for this next taping. So Christopher Guest is like, okay, we'll give it a shot. So he whacks him on the head. And what you see is Carrie actually getting knocked out because the next thing he remembers is he's waking up in a hospital and they've put stitches <gasps> in his head. But that's the take that they actually used. Oh, my God. Him getting actually knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So the author, William Goldman, he wrote this in 73, not 72. He had two little daughters at the time. They were like four and seven. And he said, I'll write you a story. What do you want it to be about? One of them said, a princess, and the other said, a bride. And he's like, well, that'll be the title. Oh, <laughs> that's so cute. <laughs> so uh, Rob Reiner brought Andre the Giant up to a hotel room to audition him. And Andre read him a scene, and they could not understand a single word that he said. <laughs> it's funny, because when we were watching, I was like, "What?" I didn't catch one <laughs> thing he just said. So he was like freaking out, because they couldn't think of anybody else, really, that they could get for this role that would work for it. So Rob recorded his entire part on tape, exactly how he wanted him to do it, and gave that to Andre the Giant. He studied it, and I guess it came out a little bit more intelligible. (laughs) I won't say, like, perfectly. I like him in the movie. I can understand 80% to 90% of what he says. Yeah, there was just one little scene that I just didn't catch it. Yeah. So Christopher Guest would make sword fighting noises during his scenes. (laughs) <laughs> where you'd be like, ching, 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 ching. And Rob Reiner had to cut a few times and be like, hey, we're going to put those sounds in afterwards. You don't need to make them. <laughs> <laughs> I 
That's funny. That reminds me of Will Smith on Fresh Prince yeah. reciting other people's lines, mouthing them as they said them. Yeah. And in the Star Wars prequels, they had to tell it was either Hayden or Ewan to stop making lightsaber noises because they'd be like, <laughs> And then when they hit him, they're like, they're like, you got to stop this. Yeah. Like we're picking this up on the microphone. You can't make these noises. That's funny. (laughs) I wonder if to them, it helped them really feel like they were doing it. So they felt more authentic. Yeah, maybe. It's like you kind of need those noises. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, did you not think that the camera would (laughs) pick up on just even your mouth making the noises, let alone the sounds? For real. And I think like if you watch the scenes where Inigo and the six fingered man are fighting, you can see his mouth like doing something. So I wonder if they really didn't use that audio and did their own audio because he's going ching, 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 ching. (laughs) So speaking about like set noises, Rob Reiner would have to leave the room whenever Billy Crystal was filming his scenes because he would laugh so loud (laughs) it would be caught on mic and they'd have to redo the take. So he just started leaving whenever Billy was doing his scenes. And I guess everybody, everybody was really cracked up by Billy Crystal. Like Mandy said that the only injury he got in all of filming was a bruised rib from holding in laughter, <laughs> not wanting to ruin a scene. And he, that... he said that's legit. He legit bruised a rib. Really? Holding it in. I didn't yeah. know you could do that. Me either. But uh, he said it was legitimate. I'm going to believe him. <laughs> Robin Wright said Andre the Giant would keep her head warm because they would film. It was in England that they filmed. I guess it was chilly out. He uh-huh. would keep her warm by putting his hand on her head. And it was so big, it would like cover her whole head and like go down to her neck and keep all her. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> they said his hands were just enormous. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. It is sweet. Speaking of Andre the Giant, so because of that back injury, they had to bring him around set on an ATV because I guess he couldn't fit in the normal vehicles. And he always wanted Carrie to drive it. So eventually Carrie gave in. But the first time that he did it, he got in a wreck and like his foot slipped off the clutch and like got stuck between that and a rock. And he broke his toe. He said it was just sticking like straight down, like legit broke. And they initially tried to hide it from Rob Reiner, but it was too big of an injury. <laughs> oh, no. So there's scenes. So they worked around shooting with that big swollen toe and his broken toe. And you can see it like right before Buttercup pushes him down the hill. Yeah. There's a spot where he sits down. And I always noticed that his leg was like out straight. Whenever he went to sit down, I was like, that's like an odd way to sit down. But that's why his leg is out straight. He couldn't put any weight on his toe. So then, you know, she kicks him down the hill, yada, yada, yada. So then they're running off to the fire swamp down Uh the road. And he's kind of like weirdly hopping. And that's also because he can't put a lot of weight on that toe at that time. So Robin Wright was a regular on the soap opera Santa Barbara. Yeah. But she was actively filming at that time. So in exchange... For allowing her time off to film this, she had to extend her contract for another year. Oh. <laughs> and lastly, is this a Christmas movie? Huh, what? The, the answer is yes. <gasps> or at least it's Christmas time. You first notice it when the mom opens the door to come see, not Kevin. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> not Kevin? <laughs> not Kevin. There's like Christmas decorations in the hallway. It also explains why there's a Santa on his wall. Oh, yeah. I did notice the Santa. Yes. And I didn't even think about that. Me either. And the book that the grandpa comes in with is wrapped. And that's why it's wrapped as well. Because oh. it is actually at Christmas. Wow. We've got another one on our list. That is a Christmas movie. (laughs) All right. That's all I got. Good job. Thank you. That was fun. I learned a lot. Let's hear your favorite moments. 
All right. So as I do, I love the romantic moments. You do. So just the story of how Buttercup and Wesley fall in love every time he says, as you wish, and how that really means I love you. Mm -hmm. Just the way they look at each other is just so good. There's love there. Yes. So when she pushes Wesley down the hill Mm -hmm. and then he yells out, And then she's like, oh, Wesley, Wesley, it's you. (laughs) And then she goes and rolls down the hill after him. That is such a gnarly hill. Yeah, it was so steep. Terrifying. Maybe I would ski down that, but that is a that is a really steep slope to do anything on. Did you ever used to roll down hills, though, like that? Yes. Me too. It was so fun. We We even do it in my front yard. Oh, that's right. You've got a good hill for Mm -hmm. that. We would do it at church. Yeah. It was a huge hill, like not as steep as that, of course, but it was really long. Uh-huh. So you could roll for quite a ways. Yeah. And you paid the price because you had to walk all the way back up. <laughs> the trick to my front yard was that you just had to make yourself stop before you went into the road. <laughs> <laughs> and then just the slow fall out the window when Buttercup jumps out of the castle window and mm-hmm. Andre the giant catches her. And she's just flowing in the wind. Yeah. She's falling. It's just funny to me. And then the other two are just down in a heartbeat. Like yeah. next thing you know, they're just on their horses (laughs) but she gets this dramatic slow fall honorable mentions i love the way that wesley is just so calm cool and collected especially in the fire swamp yeah buttercup's dress catches on fire and he's just Just, yeah calmly putting putting the fire out you know real calm and then later they're walking and talking and as the little fire i don't know what do you call those like landmines like explosions whatever fire vents they keep (laughs) there they're going off and he can just hear the little like click Click, or noise that they're making and she's just carrying on her conversation and he just picks her up and moves her and they just keep going and every time he just you know he's just flame ball up where she just was right so he's like rescuing her and keeping her safe, but doing it so coolly. So cool. <laughs> Fred Savage's bedroom. Mm. I don't know his character name. He plays the grandson. Oh, <laughs> the grandson, <laughs> a.k.a. Fred Savage, a.k.a. Kevin Arnold. That bedroom, I've talked about it on the podcast before when we had, you know, had Princess Bride on in the past year, it was like the thing that started our conversation about nostalgic items because we were looking at all the things that are sitting like on his headboard and his He-Man toys and his Empire Strikes Back drinking glass. Just like the one you bought me. Yeah. I think there's like a Transformer or something going on. And then the Santa artwork that we were talking about. It just, you know, it looked like everything. Yeah. The set designers did a great job. It was well-dressed. It was a sweet 80s bedroom. Yeah. And so it got us talking about our bedrooms and kind of sparked this whole thing. It did. We love us a good 80s bedroom. Yeah. So I definitely had to give that a shout out. And then I just love their wedding outfits at the end. I love that they're matchy matchy. Those blue. Yeah. Very regal <laughs> looking outfits. I'm glad they don't get married, but love, they were dressed for it. the occasion very yes. well. And I think like the king and the queen yeah. were as well. Yep. All right. Let me hear yours. I love, of course, the greatest sword fight of the modern age yeah. is what they called it in the book. Uh-huh. But it was my favorite back when I originally watched this and it was my favorite any other time that I watch it. Mm-hmm. It's just so well done. And to dig into it today to find out how much work went into it, like it's evident because it's a lot of fun and it's just so perfect. Yeah, it's great. I loved it. I love the acoustic guitar section in the Princess Bride song. It's like Once Upon a Time storybook love song. Mm-hmm. I'll play it right here.
I just love that. Yeah, it's it just gets me. <laughs> it gives me such good feels. <laughs> And then next up, when they're on the bridge planning their attack on the castle mm -hmm. and Wesley can't move his arms and can't keep his head up and like Andre the Giant's constantly like moving yeah. him around for him, it always just cracks me up. And then the following scene when they're in the castle and he's dragging him along. I just, love that they kept that going. Yeah. It definitely was more realistic than if he just magically had the strength. Right. You know, I thought that was well done on their parts. Even when he can kind of get out of the bed. Yeah. It's just like pretend. Uh-huh. And he tricks Prince Humperdinck. Yeah. Which I'll talk about in a second. All right. My HMs, the impressive clergyman <laughs> and his mowage. <laughs> so good. That really cracked me up as a kid. Yeah. And I was laughing yesterday when we watched this, too. I think that's one of the first things that people think of when they think of Princess Bride. Yeah. And then the scene I was just talking about, it's like to the pain scene. Oh, yeah. Not to the death. To, to the, the pain. pain. So in that scene, Wesley is consistently insulting Prince Humperdinck. <laughs> and it just makes me laugh. First of all, he's just like, no one's ever insulted me like that. He's like, get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> he calls him all these names. It's like a warthog faced buffoon, a miserable, vomitous mass, a pig. <laughs> and he just throws it in all quickly. And it just always, always cracks me up. I loved watching it with you because you were <laughs> legitimately cracking up. I was. And then I love his explanation of what to the pain means. It's always so like intense uh -huh. and he's so serious. And then I always love the name rodents of unusual size, uh -huh. but I never noticed until yesterday that Buttercup says, what about the R-O-U-S's? Yep. And I, I never put the two things together until yesterday. I was like, oh, that's what that means. <laughs> so now I have a new favorite called R-O-U-S's. Yes. And just that whole fire swamp scene in general uh -huh. with the lightning sand, because I love when they, you know, they're gone and then yeah. they come up, they're like, <gasps> and then finally, when Fezzik is carrying all of them up the rope yeah, and he's just like, no foot in it, hands only. And then, I mean, just turbo up that rope. I always thought that was hilarious. It's inconceivable. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I got. Oh, good job. Thanks. That was good. fun. That was fun. Two very good movies. Yes. So since they're both from 1987, I figured we could pick two songs from 1987. Oh, nice. Good idea. Although it's funny because I think our very first shorter episode that we did, we talked about songs from the 80s that brought up specific memories for us. Yeah. And I remember that there was only one song that was from like 1984 and all the rest of them were from 1987 because we talked about it. It was like, this must have been a year for me when I was like eight years old mm -hmm. where music really started to hit me in a different way. Yeah, I remember that. You know, because these are some songs that were on my list that I can't list today because I've already listed them, <laughs> but I'm still going to give them a shout out. Head to Toe by Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam. Only in My Dreams by mm -hmm. Debbie Gibson. I Think We're Alone Now by Tiffany. I Want to Dance with Somebody. <laughs> All great ones. Constant HMs from you. Yes. All right. What's your two for this episode? Number one is Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now by Starship. Oh, that's a good one. It's a great one, and it makes me think of Mannequin always. <laughs> so I mention Mannequin every week. We will as watch that one soon. that I want to cover, and we he will. always glosses over it. He really has something against that one. I don't. And Weekend at Bernie's. 
I mean, I watched both of them. I just have to do it. You're just not, you're just not ready for them yet. I'm not ready yet. <laughs> we'll know when the time is right. Yeah, we will. Also, one time I was at Food and Wine Festival at Epcot. My friend Sarah and I were there and Starship was playing. Oh, yeah? Yeah. We didn't actually go sit and watch them, but as we were walking by, we heard them playing that. That's fun. They played this song? And Sarah. Yeah. Uh, the song Sarah. Mm. While I was with my friend Sarah. <laughs> Number two is Walk Like an Egyptian by the Bengals. Walk like an Egyptian. Just such a fun song. It is. And... It was actually Billboard's number one song of 1987. Was it really? Mm -hmm. All right. Tell me your songs. All right. First up for me, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For by U2. It's just a song that still speaks to me. That's a good one. You think about how old it is. Yeah. Just really well done by U2. Second one for me. Tonight, Tonight, Tonight by Genesis. Yeah. That's just a really good song. And I, I love Phil Collins. Yes. Who now, doesn't? Yeah, absolutely. My HM was actually what I wanted to pick originally, but I think I picked this before. You did, yeah. So it's Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. So I'm pulling a U. I can't let this list go by without mentioning that song. Yes. Well, my only worry is that people haven't listened to that other episode and they're going to be like, but what about this song? And what about that song? Exactly. So we, we just have know. to let you know. Yeah. We know. We know. We're not going to the vice principal's office for this. <laughs> hey, it's our podcast. We choose what we want. That's right. <laughs> and now it's time to settle in, grab your blankie. Get cozy. Maybe a mug of hot cocoa. Ooh, yeah. With marshmallows? Always. It's time for the Cozy Club. My favorite time. Mine too. So this week, just reading you a few things that some of you have written in. We have Circle of Eden, I don't know your actual name, <laughs> <laughs> said skating rinks with arcades and food. Oh, those speak to me. I love a skating rink. Yeah. Those arcades they'd have. I never really got to eat a lot of the food there because all my money went to the video games. There was just something about that time. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to go with my friends just on the weekends and skate our little hearts out, sing along to the music. Yeah. So it was all late 80s, early 90s, because that was kind of the time frame. All the best music. I feel like if we were ever going to open a business attached to this podcast, it would be a skating rink. <gasps> that would be fun. With a sweet arcade. But we'd have to add some things to it that made it unique. Yeah. Which I think we could do. We could do that. I don't want to give all of our secrets away. No. <laughs> <laughs> but good call, Circle of Eden. Yes. It's just when you got dropped off at the skating rink, you knew that the next few hours of your day were going to be a good time. Yeah. All the lights. I mean, you think of the lights that were going mm -hmm. on, the music. Yeah. Just the whole... It's a vibe. ...thing you walk into. Anytime those doors open, it's like a whole new world. Yeah. And it had a certain smell and yeah. you'd go get your skates yep. and they all looked exactly the same. Like brown with orange yeah. wheels. <laughs> yeah. Or light brown. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Definitely good times. So Chrissy wrote and said, listening to my Disney books on tape in the 80s. Mm. She said they came in a plastic binder and she had so many. Wow, that's bringing up a memory for me. Yeah. Of like these plastic binders. They were kind of formed on the inside. 
like the tapes would go inside of like the plastic forms and oh, you'd yeah, like yeah, yeah. pry them open kind of. Uh-huh. And the tapes would all be in there. I forgot about that. Me too. Unlocked a memory. I don't know that I had Disney books on tape, but I did have some books on tape. I know I had Rainbow Bright and I think Moon Dreamers. Some I good had, stuff. I had Salty the Singing Songbook. Oh. Yeah. That was a Christian themed one. <gasps> oh, Salty. I salty. think I do remember that. Was there a show? There might have been. They were giant books. Yes. Like hymn books. Was it like Salty with a P, right? Yes. Like Psalms. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Salty. I feel like Sarah, different Sarah, our sister-in-law Sarah, yeah. sent me a video of that. I'll have to see if I can find it. Yes. <laughs> but that's a good one, Chrissy. I love yeah, good job, Chrissy. listening to books on tape. Even as a preschool teacher, we had a bunch of old ones and we would put those on for our kids all the time. My dad gave me like Green Hornet tapes that were from radio shows from his childhood. Oh, And that's he gave fun. me the tapes of them and I would listen to those as well. Oh, I love that. So then we have Cindy who said, going to see the Little Mermaid and then getting the Happy Meal. Perfection. So I don't know if there was a Little Mermaid Happy Meal or if she just means getting a Happy Meal after. Would have made sense if there was like a Little Mermaid themed one. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. And then came with a toy, you know, linked to the movie. Yep. Little Sebastian. Uh Oh, wait. Yeah. That's that's from Parks and Rec. (laughs) Little Sebastian. (laughs) Now I just want to sing. Bye. Bye. A classic. That gives me cozy feelings, even though it's not from the 80s or 90s. <laughs> yeah. Little Mermaid was huge, though. Yes, it was. And I feel like it was for a while. Well, and it was the first of like the new Disney movies because yeah. we grew up watching, you know, movies from 1937 or whatever, like Snow White and Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella. Because I remember like a girl I had a crush on who was a junior when I was a senior still had her room decked out in Little Mermaid stuff in 94, probably. Oh, well, that's not that far off from when it came out, though, right? When did it come out? 89? Yeah. So, I mean, she was probably of the right age to have loved Little Mermaid. Yeah. And then maybe was just too lazy to change her room. (laughs) (laughs) Or sometimes it just seems kitschy to still have something. That's true. From your childhood. I never ask. (laughs) You're like, don't question it. Just hope you can make out. That's right. (laughs) I feel like I was in like third grade when Little Mermaid came out. Okay. I'm not sure if that's right, though. And then I don't have a name, but the Instagram handle is mlin324 underscore. (laughs) Um, They said making potions in the backyard with sticks, leaves, and water. I was a baby witch. Nice. (laughs) Bet you that was fun. Yeah. I didn't really make potions, but I definitely made lots of mud pies. I would make mud pies, but then also in preparation of getting stung by a bee, I would have piles of mud ready just in case. (laughs) Just in case. Just in case. That is so you still because you love to be prepared. Prepping. You should see what all we brought with us when we went to get our COVID vaccine. (laughs) Just in case. We were ready, though. Just in case we had a reaction. I mean, it's smart because we both have allergies, so I get it. But that's cute. Always prepared. (laughs) Were you a Boy Scout? I was a Cub Scout. Okay. Then I quit because I got shafted in the Pinewood Derby because my dad created on a CNC machine, the most perfect vehicle to win. 
with like counterweights and all this kind of stuff. And it destroyed everybody. These were boxcars? It's the Pinewood Derby. So you literally take a block of pine wood and oh. you carve a car out of it. You oh. put wheels on it and you race it down a track, uh, like a gravity track. So This that, feels so 80s. Very. Well, I wonder if they still do it. I don't know. But you would put them on this track. And then you would release them both at the same time and you would race somebody else down the okay. track. So my I remember dad, you talking about this. Yeah. My dad took it to Kodak and they put it in a he CNC. He worked there. He worked there. Yeah. Sorry. They put it in a CNC machine and then put like lead weights in like the front and all dispersed throughout the vehicle. <laughs> so you'd go faster. So, and it Cheater. destroyed everybody. <laughs> So and you got DQ'd? I got DQ'd and I, I didn't ever want to come back. And then you quit Cub Scouts. Uh, eventually. I didn't quit right then, but that's what led me to quit. <laughs> oh, wow. Such scandal. Very scandalous. <laughs> and they didn't know about it until after I'd won. And then somebody like flipped the car over and saw like the lead in it. And was like, how did you get that in there? Asking me how I did it. Oh. And I was like, oh, yeah, my dad put that in there. Yada, yada, yada. And then like the whole story came. Out. <laughs> I got DQ'd. I told on myself. <laughs> that's great. They're like, oh, I smelted that. <laughs> you smelted that. <laughs> so did you do your homework this week, Mr. Tuttle? Oh. Oh, no. you did not. I thought about it at least three times. He was supposed to try some meditation in the woo room. Yeah, I feel like I had plans for it a couple times and I missed out on those plans. But I, I will I this week. Every day this week. You did. You did a very good job. Yeah. I could tell a difference too in my mood. Oh, good. Yeah, it's always. I, I could tell a difference as well. I couldn't. You're always so bubbly and happy, so I can't tell a difference. Oh, you lie. <gasps> I'm not lying. No? How dare you? <laughs> you need to go in the woo room with that attitude. <laughs> I mean, I try to be bubbly and happy, but you are. I'm also human. So that's it for the Cozy Club. Thank you for submitting the memories that make you feel cozy. Keep sending those in. Yeah, we love them. That and anything that you do for self-care to take care of your mental health. We'd love to hear it all. Or anything you've done to help someone else. That's right. If you see any anything good happening in the world that you want to share with us that you think would lift our spirits. We want to hear it. All of it. Is that it? That is it. I feel like Janet Jackson. Is that it? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not because got to tell you where you can find us. Yeah. On Instagram at We Don't Want to Grow Up Pod. You can email us at we don't want to grow up pod at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group at we don't want to grow up exclamation point. You can come support us on Patreon and get access to some bonus episodes at patreon.com slash we don't want to grow up. I think I did it. Good job. Thanks. All right. Until next time. We'll see you all soon. Bye. Bye.